Welcome to the Gather Houston podcast. We are a Christian community practicing the way of Jesus in all parts of life and for the good of all people. Thank you for joining us today. So uh, you probably know this now since our third, uh, it's the third week of January, but during January and February, uh, we are walking through the entire book of Genesis. It's 50 chapters, so we're definitely not going uh, verse by verse, but so far we've looked uh, at the creation narratives and we've looked at the fall of humankind in Genesis chapter 3. And those two uh, stories are really just an invitation for us to rehear what God speaks over us over and over again, that we are very good. That's what happens in Genesis 1 and 2. God says we are very good. In Genesis 3, what happens is humanity, we forget. We forget that voice of love that speaks over us. And so today, uh, we're going to keep walking through the story, but uh, we're going to look at eight chapters of uh, the book of Genesis, because to get through 50, uh, you got to put a few of these stories together. So today we're going to look at some pretty popular stories. Uh, we'll walk through them. We're going to talk about Cain and Abel. Uh, we'll talk about the flood and about the Tower of Babel. So these are pretty well-known uh, stories, and we're going to try to figure out how they connect with one another. So just as a reminder, this entire book uh, is an attempt to answer the kind of meta question, who are we and why are we here? Who are we and why are we here? What is happening here? That's what God's people were trying to do. So we're going to look through these stories and then talk about how they connect. So Cain and Abel, which as I said out loud, definitely sounds uh, like a cocktail bar that has really, really expensive drinks. But the story Cain and Abel, um, it, it happens right after Adam and Eve leave the garden. These are Adam and Eve's children. And uh, it appears in the story that God is more impressed with Abel's sacrifice to him than Cain's. And then in Genesis 4, verse 8, it says, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It's the, it's the first murder recorded, uh, the first real violence. And it says, God says that the blood is crying out from the ground. Then we go straight from that story into a, a section of genealogies that lead us to Noah. And you probably know this story uh, pretty well, or at least have little snippets. That's how a lot of these things go, especially because we learn them as kids. We get these little snippets. So you get like two by two. The animals were led in two by two. There's a dove at the end. You get a rainbow. There was a flood and a boat. You probably know some of the, uh, some of the general parts of the story. But the story starts like this in Genesis chapter 6. Verse 11, it says, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the violence on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter, enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You're able to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. So God is unhappy with the violence and the corruption of the world. And it seems like he kind of wants to do a restart with Noah and Noah's family, like a reset. It is loud here. It seems like God wants to do a reset with Noah and Noah's family. And so uh, they do it. They do. They build the ark. 
They get the animals on. The rains come for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, everything outside of the boat dies. Everything and everyone. It's a perfect mural uh, for a nursery. And then after the water has receded, God says in Genesis 9, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. So the flood story has like kind of a happy ending. <laughs> so uh, God says, listen, we got to stop with all this violence. He tells Noah and Noah's family, stop with all this violence. Go and multiply, increase, be fruitful, and fill the earth. It's the same, um, the same command he gives Adam and Eve. Uh, right? it's, a, it's a restart. It's a reset. And then God promises not to destroy everything again in a flood. It's a nice promise. I appreciate the promise. God says, I will not destroy everything again. And then right after that, in Genesis 11, we get the story of the Tower of Babel. And you might have some knowledge of this, Genesis 11. It's a, it's a fast story. It says, now the whole world had one language and a common speech. And so they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. Okay, so everyone speaks the same language in the entire world. And they said, great, we can all be unified, build a tower that reaches the heavens. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people, people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from all over the earth, scattered them all over the earth, and they stopped building this city. So three, three stories here. And, and they really... They're really an account of the unraveling that's happening in the world. It's murder, violence, and the seeking and hoarding of power in such a profound way that you would be willing to stack bricks. It's murder, violence, power. And I think there's lots of ways that you could see these stories connecting. So you might could just look at it and say, it really seems like God doesn't like violence. God is taking a stand against violence in these different ways. And I think that would be a good uh, way to think about it. But more than anything, these uh, three stories are, are really just God's people trying to make sense of their world. What is happening in our world? They need, all of us throughout time have needed a narrative, a story to help shape what is happening. I mean, really trying to make sense of all of this, but especially then, just trying to make sense of the world would have been impossible without a narrative. We humans are narrative story-making machines. These are the narratives that God's people were using to help make sense of the world, to help make sense of murder. It's, it's a senseless thing. How do we make sense of this? What happened? How does God feel about it? They were trying to make sense of a flood. We're, we're pretty sure a flood really happened. And the reason we know that is because other 
cultures in the ancient Near East recorded a flood story. The, the Israelites weren't the only one to have a flood story in their kind of origin story, in their history. And so we're pretty sure a flood happened. And if you lived um, as a tribe and then most of your tribe died and everything you could see in every, in every direction was killed, you would need a narrative. <laughs> you would need a story to help you make sense of that. What happened? How, how could God let that happen? Why? How? What? And the Tower of Babel is, again, a story to to help make sense of this, because if you were a tribal people without access to anyone else in the world, and let's just say hypothetically, you were moving your small herd of desert animals from one area to another, and you happened upon another tribe. You did not know they existed. You happened upon them, and they spoke a totally different language. They all understood each other clearly, but you had no idea. You would probably need a story about how in the world that happened. How do we have different languages? Why? What? What does God say about this? You would need a narrative. These are narratives to help shape what in the world is going on, right? It's who are we and why are we here in this place, in these circumstances. It's an origin story to help shape and tell this unraveling. And I think the real question here that God's people are answering, so it's not just what is this, but the reason it's a sacred text is because really what they're answering is, does God care about any of this? Does God care about our unraveling? Does God care about our pain? our grief? Does God care about our confusion and our loss? Does God care when someone's murdered? Does God care when everything I can see in every direction dies? Does God care when people are pursuing power over everything? Does God care at all? And this question in and of itself for the time was a very progressive idea. Right? It was an attempt to move humanity's, to move the needle on humanity's understanding of God. And these stories on their own, these stories from Genesis, they are primitive stories. They just are. One brother killing another brother in a field over uh, the animal fat sacrifice he made to his God, that's primitive. A story uh, of, a, of a tribal God killing everything in every direction, wanting to restart on his creation, that's, that's primitive. It just is. They're primitive stories. They don't have to make sense in our world. But for the time, they were also really, really progressive because they were, they were displaying a God that was anti-violence. They were displaying a God that was seeking to care for these people in front of him, his people. They were supposed to be his people and God was caring for them. He cared how it went. He cared about Abel who was killed. He cared about Noah and his righteousness. God cared. And that was a new idea for tribal people in the ancient Near East 4,000 years ago. It was a very progressive idea. So yeah, these stories are primitive and I know they don't necessarily fit within our framework, but for the time they were also really progressive, presenting a God that actually cares. A God that is concerned with humanity's flourishing and joy. 
a God that is concerned with the pain and grief of humanity, a God that wants to help you make sense of it all. Those are progressive ideas. And I, I, the, I think the particularly progressive idea here in, in displaying that God cares, right, that's the real connection point. God cares. God cares. There is a benevolent creator who cares. And the real progressive idea, I think, for these people was that God was caring personally, individually, for Abel and the death of Abel, individually with Noah and Noah's family and their righteousness, individually about the hoarding of this power in this one set of people. That God was caring really, really personally, not just collectively, but really personally. And that is a, it's an important idea. It's a fundamental idea that God cares for us, cares for you personally, that God is concerned with your individual joy and flourishing, that God is concerned with your grief and your pain and your confusion, that God cares personally. It's a fundamental idea, but I think for a lot of us, that's an idea that doesn't feel particularly new. Um, Having a personal relationship with God is is, uh, phrasing, is vernacular, that's common for us. This idea of being personally re- uh, relational with God, I don't think that's necessarily very progressive for us. I think it's important. I think it's fundamental. I think it's important to be reminded today that God cares for us individually and personally, but I'm not sure it's really progressive. And so I spent some time trying to figure out, well, what if this story was really about moving the needle on humanity's understanding of God? Well, what's what's a progressive idea for us? What What could be the idea that helps us move our needle a little bit? on our understanding of God. Maybe it's that God cares personally. Maybe that's helpful for you today. The progressive idea for the original audience was that God cares so personally. But I think for us, the progressive idea today might be that God cares presently. What I mean by that is that God isn't waiting for an afterlife to be caring and loving and present with you. That the point of being with God isn't to escape hell or escape this world so that you can get to God later on, right? The saving starts now. God cares presently, right now. Your flourishing, your joy, your pain, your grief, your confusion, all of it right now. And the point of this life isn't about escaping all of this so that we can go there later. The point of this life is experiencing all of this and then being in relationship with God here and now. The healing starts now. The saving starts now. The comfort starts now. It is here and now. God cares presently. No escapism, no denial here and now. And I think for a lot of us, that may be the progressive idea because our religious experiences have taught us escapism and denial and avoidance. But the story is that God is showing up presently in this life to offer saving, healing, comfort now. Uh, I wonder if you've ever been to a revival I've been to a lot of revivals. Let me let me uh, kind of set it up for you a little bit. I know some of you have maybe a three or five night revival, maybe a tent revival, maybe in a parking lot or a field. It's great to go to a revival. 
so a church would have a traveling uh, preacher come in, a revival preacher, uh, to preach several nights in a row. You'd probably also have a guest musician. Uh, if you were really lucky, you might get the gospel quartet to come. Uh, the speaker may have maybe had a preferred musician that traveled with them. It's the whole thing. Um, but lots of stuff there. But the whole experience of the night, so it's a church service, special music, special speaker, but the whole kind of experience led up to the altar call. Because the point of the revival was to get people saved. So the whole experience leads up to this altar call. And uh, right before the altar call, uh, where you have people walk to the front, there may have been a moment where the speaker said something like, all right, now with every uh, head bowed and every eye closed, if you made a decision to repent of your sin and secure your salvation, would you be courageous enough to raise your hand. So everyone has their eyes closed and you're pretty sure no one is raising your hand, raising their hand, but the preacher at the front is saying, I see that hand in the back. I see that hand in the back. Yes, I see that hand in the back. Yes, yes, I see that hand. And then he said, all right, everybody open your eyes. And now if you raised your hand, would you stand up and walk to the front? Big altar call moment. Right? The whole thing was leading up to that moment. And there was a particular tactic to try to make that a better uh to have more decisions, I don't know if better is the right word, but to, to have more decisions made, to have more people raise their hand and walk to the front. There's one particular uh, tactic. This guest preacher might say some version, I bet you've heard this, some version of um, if you were in a car crash, if you were in a car crash on your way home tonight and you died, are you 100% confident, 100% certain that you would spend eternity in heaven. And if you're not 100% certain, you probably need to raise your hand so you can come secure your salvation. So, you know, cl uh, clearly pretty manipulative, fear tactic kind of thing. And uh, a lot of people would raise their hand because that's a scary proposition. But even as a kid, I remember having the weirdest feeling about that and about that particular uh, illustration. I've heard it dozens of times, and it wasn't the fear or the manipulation or the kind of blurry theological parts of that. That was all really normal to me. That felt spot on. I expected that. Uh, what was so surprising to me in those experiences is that someone would, would make that illustration. If you died in a car crash tonight, would you go to heaven? And then we would get to the end of these services, these revival services. And at the very end, not a single time did anyone pray for all of us to get home safely. No one lifted up a prayer for the drivers. Not one time. And as a kid, I assumed that a lot of people were getting in car wrecks on the way home from church. And not one time did anybody pray for us to get home safely. And what was communicated to me in this not so subtle way, to be honest, was that uh, all of this all of our religious experience, all of the revival, the whole point was to escape this, was to escape here and now. It was escapism and avoidance and denial. We were just doing all this so that we could get out of here and go to heaven. None of this here and now mattered at all. And these primitive stories from Genesis that are helping God's people to make sense of their unraveling world can help us make some progress too. Because God is care, God cares. He's 
concerned. He's active with you now. This whole thing that we're doing, this religious expression and experience isn't about avoidance or denial or escapism. It's about experiencing all of it with God because God cares presently. The invitation is for help and healing and comfort and care here and now. So for you, what has been a defining factor in your religious experience? Has it been a presence or escapism? Has there been a lot of escapism and denial? Has it been more there and later or here and now? It's a way to think about it. More there and later or here and now? And maybe the question for you today, just really simply, is do you believe that God cares about you? Is that a part of your kind of foundational understanding uh, of this? There's a benevolent creator that cares for you. Do you believe God cares? And do you believe that you can experience that help and that healing and that care and that comfort now? Do you believe that it's available now? That it's not about there and later? Do you believe that this is more than just escapism and avoidance? Do you believe that there is some healing available to you now? And maybe it might be helpful today to just kind of pinpoint those places that you need some healing and help. Because sometimes in our escapism, right, avoidance just follows right behind it. We, we never actually acknowledge what needs to be healed. We never actually acknowledge where we need that comfort. Maybe we could just start there. Right, these stories, these primitive stories, they move us forward and help us understand God as a here and now help. Help, healing, care, flourishing, available now. Uh, so I, I work really hard in this space, on this little rug, uh, to be as honest as I can with you, to be as vulnerable as I can. And so in that spirit of honesty and vulnerability, uh, this is one of those weeks that I'm sh- uh, struggling to believe this. Maybe believe isn't the right word. I'm struggling to accept this. Struggling to accept that God cares about me. It's sounding, it sounds trite and cliche to me when I say it a little bit. Just full honesty. Uh, I want to believe this. But it's one of those things where I, I, I do believe it and also I do not. You know? You know a, a flood and a, and a tower. I mean, I do, I do, but also I just, I just don't. So I've tried lots of things this week to kind of get past my, my struggle to accept this. I tried changing the vocabulary, vocabulary a little bit just for myself. I said, kind of was telling myself this week, uh, you know, our, our ultimate reality is love. And love is the rhythm of the universe. And I was like, okay, I like that. But I think I just like it because I have no idea what it means. <laughs> God cares for me. I know what it means. It just is feeling hard to accept. But what ended up helping me, so maybe you're like me, that idea, it sounds fine, but just hard to accept. God cares for me. Okay, little cliche, little trite. Here's what did help this week. I can believe that God cares because you care. Because you care, and you, beloved, are made in the image of God. You are designed to care. You are designed for kindness, 
justice, and compassion, you, designed in the image of God, you care. And that helps me understand that God cares. And so if you're struggling, like me, a little bit to accept it, accept this, I think we could look in and we can look out. We can look in and say, I, I care. I'm a caring person. I'm kind and compassionate. And I'm made in the image of God. That must tell me something about who God is. And I can look out in our world. And, and though it might be hard to pinpoint sometimes, there are people in your life who care for you, who love you, who are present with you. And those people are made in the likeness of God. They're like God. We look in, we look out. We were designed in the image of God to help and to be helped, to carry and to be carried, to heal and to be healed. God cares for us. And so gather, this is my prayer for us today from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Gather, hear it, trust it, hold on to it, believe it. God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in Gather, check out our website at gatherhouston.org or visit us on Sunday at 10 a.m.